Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, Bill. Good morning, church. Is everybody ready to get back into rhythms of school and picking up kids? Well, good. Somebody is. Good. <clears throat> also getting a break a little bit from the kids. <clears throat> so uh, one clarification real quick. I, I, I know I said uh, members meeting. Uh, I think that's the Southern Baptist in me from my background where everything is a members meeting that needs a vote to change a light bulb. Right? We got to vote on it. And so it's not a members meeting. If this is your church, if you show up here every week, you're going to continue to show up, then you're more than welcome to hang around and, and be part of our discussion later. I do apologize. I feel like I just have like this cough. Maybe you heard me during worship. Throat's very dry, but got a lot of talking to do today. So, so this morning we're going to talk about uh, this powerful, practical and yet mysterious subject known as pneumatology. Now, I actually thought that, that um, it would be a subject that a lot of you were uh, familiar with, but as I talked to many of you this morning, um, you said you weren't, So, which excites me, because I feel like, okay, they're not going to hear something they've heard over and over. So we're going to study pneumatology, which means we're going to study uh, the work and person of the Holy Spirit. We get this term pneumatology from the Greek word pneuma, which means spirit or breath or wind. Some like, and it's even more than that. It's like a movement. It's a movement of air, spirit, or wind. Um, it's where we get the word pneumatics from. If you've ever worked uh, with pneumatics like I have, it's, it's wind power or in our case, spirit power. And the Holy Spirit is powerful because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person, and a person who is personally going to do something for you in your life as a believer. Now, one of the reasons we talk about this, why do we, why do we even call it pneumatology? Why is this a subject at all that we would classify it? Well, for one, it's a divisive topic. You want to talk about a divisive topic amongst churches, amongst Christian churches, for the last 120 years especially, um, this has been very controversial. Churches have divided over the understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. There's entire denominations that are completely built around their, their ecclesiology, their church is built around their doctrine of pneumatology. But this morning, my goal, and I, and I think my job really, is not to, to give you a systematic analysis of pneumatology every point by point, and certainly it is not my job to argue with who is right and to say who believes this or that right now. But my heart, as always, is Scripture itself. And so this morning we're going to look at what Jesus wants to know about pneumatology. What does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? What is it that is so important about the Holy Spirit that Jesus wants to know Specifically, Jesus wants, to know, wants us to know how the Holy Spirit works in the spreading of the gospel, including how it was spread to us. 
And so this topic, this subject, it actually goes back to John chapter 3, if you remember, in verse 8, a very uh, popular verse uh, where we read, the wind, the pneuma, blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the spirits. And again, you have pneuma right there, pneumatos. And so new life, as a Christian, new life is based on the pneuma. Can you guys say pneuma? Pneuma? Again, pneuma. Okay, so this is a new fun word, and it means spirit. New life, pneuma. And so this spirit is powerful. It is spirit power. The power, it says in John 3, 8, is to take somebody who is already physically alive and spiritually dead and have them born again born again, even though they're already alive and they're already dead, they're born again and able, it says in that verse, to then enter the kingdom of God, right? So they can go into the holy presence of our awesome eternal God. And so, so much power, insane power for that to happen. Yet also, mystery, Right? And you'll see this all throughout the New Testament, like when the Holy Spirit is mentioned, power, insane power and movement, but then also mystery. It's like, don't ask us to explain it. And like it says in verse 8, it's like, you're going to see the results. And so you know the Holy Spirit was there, but nobody knew how or why, how that happened, but you saw the results. When we see someone reject the system of the world and call out to Jesus, we know the Spirit was there. Now, what we don't learn in verse 8 of John 3 is the technicality of it. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean you have to be born of spirits, right? That conversation uh, with Nicodemus and Jesus just goes a different direction. And so it's not a technical explanation. And so we have to wait till John 16, where we're at today, John 16, verses 5 through 11, and this will explain kind of all the background of John 3, 8, how all that works. And so this will be part one of, of learning pneumatology, because this passage will then go on, continue to talk about the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer and the church. And as we do this again, it, it is where we, are, we are studying not a systematic view of the Holy Spirit, but what Jesus says to us about the Holy Spirit. Jesus, will see, says, it's to our advantage. It is to our advantage that we have the Holy Spirit this morning, and so... May we leave believing and knowing that more than ever. Our sermon is called Knowing Pneumatology, the Advantage of Conviction. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we know that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, of, of our triune God, who you are, is the most mysterious. But we also know it is that mystery and power that we operate in, that, that, that we exist as a church because of this. And so I ask, Lord, for the Holy Spirit and all of us, Lord, to help us communicate with us, to understand this truth, to believe it and to know it, and based on that, to then spread your gospel, knowing that the Spirit isn't done, that we were not the last person to be saved. Lord, and so may we just continue in your spirit, moved by your spirit, Lord, to, to seek out others to be born again by your spirit, Lord. May, 
everything we always do be to your glory, Lord. Amen. The first thing Jesus wants to know, wants us to know about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is an advantage. It's an advantage. Now, beginning with the second part of verse 4, through, four, uh, through verse 7, it says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so notice here, uh, this is a rebuke. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a mild rebuke, I mean, based on some other things Jesus has said to people. This, this isn't harsh, um, but Jesus is still uh, rebuking them. And so Jesus is basically saying, yeah, I know this is a new topic, but it's not that I didn't want to tell you before. It's just like we were walking side by side, didn't have to talk about this, but now I do. I'm leaving you. And none of you is bothering to ask me about what's going to happen afterwards. And so Jesus is saying, like, really? You guys are so focused on how sad you are that I'm leaving that you're not going to ask me why I'm leaving. And so, I mean, look, I, I understand them being sad, but Jesus says, like, you shouldn't be that sad. Like, let me finish what I have to say. They need the other half of the communication that Jesus wants to communicate. And it got me thinking about, well, imagine you are, are say you're having a great day with somebody that you love, whoever that might be. You're having a great day together. And they turn to you and say, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Now, our first response, you know, if it's somebody we love and we're having a great day, is to say, no, what? No, why would you leave? Don't leave. But if, what if they then stopped and said, well, I'm leaving, but I'm going to Jack in the Box. You know, or insert uh, Flame and Skewers, whatever your favorite place is. That's a whole different conversation, right? Because you now you have the whole information, and now it's not like, don't go. It's like, here's my order, <laughs> right? And so you have to have the rest <coughs> of the information, and it'll really change how you view that, them leaving, and so Jesus wants to give them all the information, but they're stuck in, like, this is so depressing. And so he tells them that he's leaving, and it's to their advantage. That's what they need to know. He's not leaving, and then it's like, what are we going to do? He's saying, no, it's going to be better. It's going to be an advantage to you that I leave. Now, I wouldn't say the disciples here are completely comforted by this. I do believe that Jesus, that's what Jesus wants. It's just to comfort and encourage them. But for a lot of reasons, including like we'll see next week, and as we know, the disciples are getting on an emotional roller coaster. They just don't know it yet. So they're, they're, gonna, they're not going to be completely comforted. They're going to be turned inside out in the next couple of days. Especially remembering last week that Jesus just told them that the world hates them. The world hates you. Let me tell you why the world hates you. And just goes on, right, point by point about how they're going to be hated, and now he's going to leave but still, he wants them to know about the spirit, about the pneuma. And first off, first and foremost, is that it's an advantage. 
Even though the world hates them, even though he's leaving them, it's still an advantage. So just what is that advantage? What is the Holy Spirit? How's the Holy Spirit going to help them spread the gospel in the midst of a world that hates them, that we know is going to kill them very brutally, ruthlessly? Likewise, how is that our advantage? How is that an advantage? How am I going to, how do you preach that? Jesus is leaving you and the world's going to hate you. And yet, if you're here this morning, you already have that advantage. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've already had the advantage of that advantage. And so, here's the deal, and I mean this wholeheartedly. If you can listen to me talk, like, you have an advantage. And this is not my ego here. What I'm saying, let me say this another way. It takes a supernatural ability to listen to me talk. I don't think you guys realize this. To listen to me talk about what I'm talking about, you need supernatural help. Nobody wants to do that. That is not a natural thing to do. I remember when I was younger going to church with my grandma, and I would sit by her, and I would be miserable. I would fall asleep. My eyes would be rolling back in my head. I'd be, you know, like when you're falling asleep and you sort of jerk and wake yourself up. Like, that, that was me, like, you know, and the only person I'm calling out here is me, so nobody, we've all, we've all done that, even during the great sermon, but I'm calling out me here. That was me for year after year after year, and then one day, like night and day, I was paying attention. Not only that, like, I'm hanging on every word that I'm hearing the preacher preach, I'm talking to my grandma afterward about doctrine and about this biblical character. I am talking to my friends, like I'm doing like chat rooms with my friends. Like, have you heard this sermon by so-and-so? You need to download that. You need to hear this. Like, like, like sermons are the coolest thing ever. Like they're like rock albums. Oh, here's my top sermons that you need to hear. I would go to Christian bookstores, and Gianna can tell you, I go to Christian bookstores and, and buy, spend a lot of money like on three-inch thick books on subjects like pneumatology. Why? What changed? I gained an advantage. I gained an advantage. And that advantage is conviction. Let's read about this in verses 8 through 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so what we find in these convictions, there's three convictions that, that are mentioned right here. So... Sin, righteousness, and judgment. So let's start by looking at the advantage of the conviction of sin. Again, going back to verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. And so, concerning sin. And it's something that we need to remind ourselves of, even as Christians. Like, what is sin? Like, do we forget? Can we communicate what sin is? And so it's basically, you are breaking God's law. You are breaking the divine commandments, the right way that everything should be done. As theologian Millard Erickson wrote, sin is any evil action or evil motive that is in opposition to God. 
Simply stated, sin is a failure to let God be God and placing something or someone else in God's rightful place of supremacy. So when we substitute God with something in our life, something, someone, what's happening is we are becoming God. Right? We don't like to say that, but that's what we're doing. We're, we're making ourselves God. But if we do that, if we submit to our own authority or supremacy or whatever that outside authority or supremacy is, I can tell you right now that means that you don't know who Jesus is. Because there's no way you could look at anything in this world, in this galaxy, and determine that it is more supreme than Jesus. And so you know right off the bat, you need a conviction about who Jesus is to realign all that information. And this is the first sin that must be repented of. The sin of not knowing who Jesus is. We find this truth in Mark 1.15, where Mark writes, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so the first action of belief is repentance of unbelief. Right? The first action of belief is repentance of unbelief. You don't have to know everything about Jesus, but you have to know that Jesus is God. You have to know that Jesus is righteous, and you have to know that he died for your sin, not his. The point here is that the Spirit is convicting about who Jesus is. And knowing who Jesus is, is a matter of life and death. Literally. What you don't know can hurt you and even kill you. Now, this past week at community group, uh, we talked about a young, na- uh, young man named uh, Christopher McCandless who lived a life according to his own rules. By a lot of our standards, super cool guy, smart guy, lived off the grid, lived his way, studied insanely about how to live in the wild, ended up in Alaska, right, living in a bus, living the dream, self-sufficient, successful, I mean, successful for living on his own in Alaska until he wasn't. And so what happened, as far as we know, is that he probably ate some potato seeds that were he either misidentified or he identified correctly, but just ate way too many of them. Like anything, you eat too much of anything that potent, it can kill you, and it killed him. I say that because although he was hungry and probably also starving... If he knew those seeds were dangerous and fatal, he wouldn't have ate them. If he had the advantage of that knowledge, he may still be alive. So how much more important is the knowledge of Jesus? We're not talking about just physical death, but we're talking about spiritual death. I think most of us, if we could... If we were able to, we would have told Christopher, don't eat those seeds, right? Or take a closer look at those seeds. Don't eat as many. I believe every one of us would have told him so that he didn't die, don't eat those seeds. So why don't we warn, don't, why don't we warn others about the poison of sin? Why don't we do that? Knowing that sin is dangerous and poisonous and will, will physically, spiritually kill you. Not only that, we have the cure in Christ. It's like, okay, we know you've already eaten too much of sin, too much sin. We have the cure in Christ. Why don't we, why don't we share that information? 
Well, one reason, as we looked at last week, is the world hates us, and it's very difficult to approach people who hate you for this thing that you then want to talk about. It's the one subject that, they, that, that you don't want to talk about. But we do it because of the power and mystery of the Holy Spirit. We have this power to love people who hate us. And there's also this mystery. We're not guaranteed success. And so there's this mystery, like Jesus said, we don't know what the Spirit is doing. We just know we have to be faithful to what he's asking us to do. And so we will see results, just maybe not the way we expect, who we expect, who we would think to to hear the gospel or show up at church. We don't know, but we have to do it because the, the, the Spirit is just mysterious like that and powerful like that. We just have to be faithful to preach the gospel. When we do that, some will experience that grace and that advantage of conviction, conviction of who Jesus is. When that conviction comes that we are sinful of who Jesus is, and that's what allows us to then realize something very important about ourselves, and that is that we are unrighteous. We are unrighteous. And so huge advantage of the Holy Spirit is the conviction of righteousness. In verse 10, it says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And so with righteousness, quite the opposite of sin, you are living according to the divine law. You've lived in perfect harmony with God. You haven't done anything wrong whatsoever. You could think about righteousness like this. This is how I remember what righteousness means. Imagine living in a way that is right and just. So right justness. Well, here's the problem. How many of us have lived a life of righteousness completely? Yep, not even me. Not even me. Especially, I should, especially not me. And so there are two forms of righteousness in this world, and I believe in this passage, and, and why there's an advantage to this conviction. And the first one I want to look at is self-righteousness. That is, we believe we ourselves are right. Well, how do we do this? Well, if we're self-righteous, we establish our own standards, right? That bar is real low, right? The bar is real low. In fact, our standard of righteous is often comical, downright comical. Because if we want to be self-righteous, all we have to do is find someone or something that we think is less right than us and then just point to it or celebrate that we are better than that. And so we are, we are righteous and, and we've all done that. The most comical, common, self-righteous argument I hear, and I know you've heard this one, I heard this one this week is, at least I don't do drugs. How is that the standard for everything? <clears throat> it's okay to do whatever you want as long as you are not a, a drug user and I'm assuming a drug dealer. If you are above that, you are righteous. No, that, that, it's horrible. Uh, the other one I, I've heard um, is, I'm a good person. I haven't murdered anybody, right? Right? <laughs> Great, how righteous are you? 
And so that's to say the natural person, the, the, the bar of righteousness is set very low, very low. But Jesus, it's not the way Jesus sees it. Jesus' concept of righteousness is, is perfection. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus not only talked about sinful, unrighteous actions, he went further. He's like, oh, you're not doing those? Okay, what are you thinking about? Like, what are you contemplating in your heart? That, that's the bar, that's the standard of righteousness for Jesus. What are you even thinking about right now? And of course, we all absolutely fail that. Furthermore, in Matthew 5.48, Jesus said, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there's that. <laughs> there you go. Like, that's the standard. So again, why is, it, why is it an advantage of the Holy Spirit's conviction about righteousness? Is because you need to know your standard was nonsense. Like perfection is the standard. If you aren't perfect, then we have a problem. The advantage of that is in your desperation, once you truly understand, oh no, then we have to find righteousness, which leads to the righteousness of Jesus. And we find this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus is righteous and perfect and holy. He is. And because of that, he can be like our sacrifice, right? We need his righteousness. We need to approach God in Christ. That's why we say we're in Christ. We always talk about that, being in Christ. We can approach the God and enter the kingdom of a holy, perfect, wonderful God, in, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus. Well, how do we know that Jesus' righteousness is acceptable? Well, in verse 10, it's kind of a weird verse. If you read it, well, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you will see me no longer. Okay, how do those things work together? Well, here's the deal. If Jesus stayed in the grave, we'd have a problem. But he didn't. And so he doesn't stay in the grave. He's resurrected, and then he what? Goes back to the Father. And so that's what this verse says. The resurrection and the ascension is proof that, that God the Father accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, that his righteousness was enough. And that's the whole point of this verse that, that doesn't seem like it makes sense. Jesus is saying, I'm so righteous, like you are not going to see me again. I'm going to where righteousness is. There's nothing about me that is going to stop me from ascending and going back to the Father not only that, when I get there, nobody asks, thank you, but the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send to you and convict you of what? That you are not righteous, and that I am righteous, and that you need my righteousness. And so that conviction is an advantage. When we have the Holy Spirit, we then have this hunger and thirst for righteousness that is only satiated in Jesus So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and also judgment. So there's two parts to this. One is, is based on the righteousness of Jesus. So we are talking about the judgment on the cross. That is part of that conviction. 
But what this verse is talking about more specifically is the judgment of Satan, the ruler of this world. And so let's look at this conviction of judgment in verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is not the first time we've come across this, this, this sort of language. If we go back a couple of weeks to John 12, 31, John wrote, Now is the judgment of this world, that is the world system, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And so, like we talked about last week, the system of the world and the world ruler is evil, and in this judgment begins the casting out and the defeat of Satan. This is made more clear in the book of Revelation, as hopefully we'll see in a few months, where you have the true, true ruler of the galaxy, holy, perfect, the Lamb, Jesus on the throne, ruling over everything, including his throne on earth, while all these judgments are taking place, right? If you've read the Revelation, and then this judgment, and then this judgment, ending, right, at the point where Satan is judged permanently, Evil is judged permanently. Death is judged permanently. And so at the moment, at the cross, all this is set in motion. And it ends in death and judgment. And the only way to escape it is to see it. Again, that's why revelation is so important. Like, you have to see the system. And so the advantage of the Holy Spirit that, that, that makes us different from those who don't have that advantage is they can't see the system. They just see the world as just being the way things normally are. We have the advantage of the Holy Spirit saying, no, this is not the way the world is supposed to work. You are unrighteous. You are sinful. This world is going to face judgment. And we have that conviction, right? We say often, what? This is all going to burn. Like, we know that. Oh, we have this conviction. This ends. Judgment is coming. What can we do? We need righteousness. We need Jesus. We only see that need when we have the helper, the advantage of the Holy Spirit. It's an advantage for us, but it's a disadvantage for those who, again, don't have the Holy Spirit because they don't take their condition seriously. And so you will hear people say, only God can judge me. How can you say that? Like, what... what? What, I, I, I love asking people, so what exactly is, like, how are you going to talk your way out of this? What is it in your mind that when God requires perfect righteousness, that what are you going to pull out of your pockets and say, this is what I'm presenting to you, God, to prove my righteousness? I, I don't know what people are thinking when they say that. They don't understand their woeful condition. Now, in the famous uh, sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards preached, The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string. And justice bends the arrow at your heart, and strains the bow, and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God, and that of an angry God, without any promise or obligation at all, that keeps the arrow from one moment being made drunk with your blood. For those of us who, for no reason at all, no reason in us at all, have experienced this advantage, that we could read something like this and understand it, oh, it's by grace 
alone. How could us who have experienced this advantage, this pleasure of God, how can we then not go and tell other people about it if we believe this is true? Would you, if we were leaving church today, if you saw a blind person crossing the street, you knew they were blind. They're signs. You knew they were blind, and there was a car about to hit them. Would you try to help them? I think most of us would. At least yell, even if we don't run out and grab them. We would do something to communicate, you have no idea what's about to hit you. So why not the spiritually blind? They have no idea about this arrow, right? They have no idea about the judgment that's going to come. The reason we have this advantage is to warn them. Because some are going to move. Some of them are going to move. The rest are going to hate you. Yes, we established that. But we do it. We face the hate for those who are going to move who are going to move towards Jesus and not experience this wrath. And that is why we are here. That is why we are the church, right? To, to be trained up to communicate this, to communicate the Gospels, to bear witness about Jesus. Not because we could change people's minds, but because we have this advantage already. But once we put the Gospel out there, we just don't know who is going to accept it. And the success isn't based on us. Hence, we never have to be worried about, did I communicate the gospel clearly? Did I say something wrong, say the wrong verse? What this verse says is, the conviction necessary to be convicted and convinced has nothing to do with you. Even in your most beautiful, elegant, theological Romans Road argument. It's all based on the Spirit. And so it's the Spirit's responsibility to, to make effective that conviction, to bring somebody to conversion. The Spirit only asks that we bring it up. That's all we're asked to do. And this is pneumatology 101, that the Holy Spirit comes and convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment, something he does through those who have already been convicted. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.